Hello and welcome to the fourth season of the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Can you believe we've been doing this for four seasons now? I, I'm kind of surprised that we've been doing this for four seasons. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty big milestone. Don't know what the... Maybe we'll get to... I'm pretty sure we'll hit a fifth season. Uh, but we've got four seasons now starting. And uh, we'll get ready for another season of news, opinions, and history to be shared in this show. Uh, my name is Rob Peters, and joining me is Josh Roller. And while we haven't changed... Yeah, I've maybe grown a little bit more facial hair over the time. I don't know. Uh, the show, however, has. Now, we've mixed up the format just a little bit to hopefully bring you a more compelling experience. Uh, and I really hope that uh, this show, it kind of helps condense things a little bit more. Hopefully allows us to be more relevant, talk less about certain things that might not be as interesting, and talk more about things that are a bit more interesting I'm, I'm excited for it, I'm excited for it, but ha- one thing that's not changing is starting off the show with the news, because we always have to set the ground for what we're going to talk about later in the show by starting off with the news, so that's why we do what we do. So let's go ahead and jump right into Rob's Racing Report, because we have a whole entire off-season's worth of news to cover, basically a whole month, basically four weeks we've been off the air, we, we put the New Year's special out, maybe about a day after, a couple days after New Year's. Uh, and now we are back. It's yep. Yep. February. Happy February, everybody. And that means when it's February, it's Daytona time. And what better time to think about Daytona than to start off with form- talking about Formula One, something that's also well over a month away. Uh, but anyway, Formula One news, starting off with that, is uh, we've got Formula One renewing the Singapore Grand Prix through 2028. I believe that dropped this past weekend. Yeah, hashtag sigh on that one. Yeah, well. We can always hope that maybe Malaysia will come back knowing that it won't. Oh, well. I'm hoping that this is kind of the one I'm like, hey, we're going to cancel that contract. That's I, I, I'll be surprised if they run through 2018. Um, since our last podcast, Otmar... S- I can't pronounce this. Sot... Sofnauer, right? Yeah. Yeah, Sofnauer? Yeah. That's how yeah. it's pronounced? Well, yeah, I, I've it, never pronounced it, that. I've literally never had to pronounce that. And I've never really been able to hear it be pronounced. I mean, I've li- I've watched so much F1, and I only ever hear them call him Otmar. I never yeah, hear they, him. Yeah, they definitely, they do They do what, like, you're trying to do. It's like, just say their first name. He's a first name only guy. Yeah, we, they, I never hear them refer to him by last name. No. You know, they always say, oh, Christian Horner, or, or, uh, or Gunther Odell. Steiner or something, but they never say, they always, they never say, they always say his like first name. They just say, Otmar, how are you doing down in the Sky Race Control or whatever? I don't know. What mm-hmm. Or uh, in the pit lane or whatever there. I don't know. But anyway, Otmar, he's got a new job. He's left Aston Martin uh, as team principal and CEO, and he has been replaced by a man by the name of Mike Crack. I think You're he was brought me. on, he was brought on like last year. I think this kind of was like, foreshadowing this is going to happen okay well, that makes sense yeah um do we know where where otmar's going or do we know where otmar's going i've heard any news where he's going if he's landed anywhere I unfortunately don't i don't i i thought he was rumored to take the the alpine job from cyril but that i guess didn't happen so i don't know um Maybe where am I getting that from? Am I making that up, Josh? 
Uh, I don't think you're making that up. I think I heard that same thing, but I don't think it got much traction. I was going to say, the... I didn't think it would get gather much traction either. I, it it no. didn't seem likely when it happened, but no. Anyway, um, so a Haas F1 team has said that Mick Schumacher is, or excuse me, Ferrari said that Mick Schumacher is test driver for him. So apparently a Haas F1 team has now said that if Mick Schumacher gets called up for to Ferrari for that test driver role, that Pietro Fittipaldi will take his place. So they're keeping Pietro on because I seem they seem to really like him as a test driver. And he, he was, I think he's a good driver. I've always been very high on Pietro. Uh, so it, it, I mean, while I would prefer to see Pietro have some kind of full-time ride somewhere, uh, it, it's, if, if there's a very odd situation where maybe Leclerc or Sainz gets COVID, uh, or test positive for COVID, you know, despite the fact that actually, no, I read that the F whole F1 paddock has to be vaccinated this year. So I don't know, maybe, I mean, I guess you could still test positive for it if you're vaccinated, but they'd probably still make him te- uh, sit out the race, I imagine. Um, yeah, whatever anyway. the whatever the window is there for, hey, you got to wait so many days and then negative tests, you know, whatever that is. Right. And it wouldn't even just have to be for COVID, you know, if they were to get injured biking or something, you know, hey, Mick, we got a ride for you. Yeah, I that, guess you're right. Yeah. And, and then uh, according to Ferrari team principal Mattia Benotto, Formula One's new F fuel regulations will cost teams in the region of 20 horsepower this season and has led to significant combustion changes. So that's interesting. Still looking forward. It looks like uh, as it is February now, we have dates for when the Formula One cars will launch. So obviously within those new regulations, it'll be interesting to see some of the new cars that we'll be seeing. This will be kind of the first time since 2014 that we'll have kind of a, a, a new idea of what these cars will look like, kind of be wondering, oh, this is going to look new, this is going to be interesting, and also saying, well, since 2017 as well. I think about 2014 and 2017, those regulation changes as being fun times, uh, for sure. It's crazy to think how much the 2017 cars changed from to oh, from then to 2018. Like, the 2018 cars don't even look same they're, they're totally different with the halo with the uh removal of the shark fin on the back it it, it i don't know it, that was in, that was a completely different change up so be interesting to see what uh, f1 is going to look like next year uh but we have a great idea so far of what the indycar grid is shaping up to be we've got a lot of news here to talk about connor daly will run the entirety of the 2022 indycar schedule with ed carpenter racing in the number 20 chevrolet now uh since he's taking over the 20 full time ed carpenter what's he gonna do there's uh, a lot of rumors he's Carpenter himself has said he's not retired. He's still planning to do all of the ovals, but instead of, you know, having Connor find something else to do uh, during those oval races, he's just going to keep him on uh, the whole time and then, I guess, run a different car for himself. What did I say, like, months ago? This is what I should have happened. This, I, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I did I did say this. I didn't necessarily mean you need to go to Connor, which I'm happy for Connor. I said this should have happened. I'm not going to say that, you know, someone from Ed Carpenter Racing was listening to this podcast. I'm not going to go as far as say that, but I like to take a little bit of credit. One, I, I, uh, That's fine. <laughs> um, Juan Pablo Montoya will run the Indianapolis 500 and IndyCar, IndyCar Grand Prix with the Aero McLaren SP team in the number six 
So big news there. Juan Pablo Montoya returning to Indianapolis. And one finished top 10 last year. I think, I believe, if I recall correctly, I think he was 10, top 10 last Did, year. Yeah. Um, you know, all, again, two time winner of the 500. Yeah. I like one coming back for this. I, I, I really like the idea. We'll, we'll get to it more, but I really like the fact that we're very lucky to still have so many drivers from that kind of. I don't really want to call it a golden era because some people wouldn't refer to it as such, but like the years when IRL and cart were both their own individual unique thing and certain drivers were tearing up both circuits. We're very lucky to still have those drivers like Tony Kanan, Elio Castro Neves, when Pablo Montoya, you know, those drivers still racing in the series, uh, Scott Dixon, even I would actually put Scott Dixon in that, in that category as well, because Dixon ran cart 2001, and uh, 2002, and then moved to the IRL in 2003 with Chip Ganassi, when Ganassi defected full-time to the IRL and left CART entirely, which pretty much crippled CART. I mean, there was basically no teams of relevance or, uh, uh, you know, right, uh, except yeah. for Newman Haas, and Newman Haas was basically ran away with it. I mean, as soon as, soon as Bourdais had one year under his, his feet, uh, he realized that all he had to do was beat Paul Tracy, and it really wasn't that hard. I mean, I think when Demata came back and when Almendinger started to rise, I think he had some competition there. And obviously, Justin Wilson was big competition there too. Um, but and that's a that's a story for a different. But it is like I said, you know, you look at all the NASCAR drivers that have retired within the last ten years, and not even ten, five, five, yeah. six years. Uh, you look at all the NASCAR drivers, and and you have to stop and think, man. IndyCar and IndyCar fans are very, very lucky to have some people like Juan Montoya, Tony Kanon, and Elio Castroneves still racing in the series. And Scott Dixon, again, sorry. Yeah, whether Dixon's more full-time and probably still in his prime compared to everybody else, arguably. Yeah. Dixon will be racing when he's 55, let's be honest. Nobody, people are going to be like, oh, here's the thing about Dixon is you kind of forget that he's out there running, but then... As soon as you remember, you're like, oh, yeah, then he's probably he's probably going to win. He's a favorite to win. Like, as you, you forget that he exists until you don't. And then you're like, oh, yeah, he's he's probably – don't count him out, him out. He was – I forget I, – I, I sit here and I'm thinking like, man, Dixon's, Dixon's really good. He's a, one of the best – no, he's not young. He's been racing since 2001. Wow. He's been racing in carts since 2001. He won – or maybe even earlier than that. He won. Uh, he won. Scott Dixon. Let's say he's been racing so long that his first win came at Nazareth. That's how long ago he was. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's crazy yeah. to think about. That's crazy to think about, though. Is Dixon has been racing so long that his first win came at Nazareth, a track yeah. that basically closed down three years later, huh? three years after his first win. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, Rob, you just depressed me. Well. I, I don't mean to depress you. Um, I have news that won't depress me. Yeah, Tatiana I know. Calderon You're has signed a deal with one. AJ Foyt Racing to run the road and street courses in the number 11 entry. Uh, good for her, especially considering the fact that uh, Tati seemed to have the uh, Super Formula deal fall completely apart, which, to be honest with you, it's kind of a lateral move here when it comes to teams. The Super Formula team she was with is, was probably about as good if not, maybe AJ Foyt racing is a little bit better. It's not a big step up, but I guess it's a little step up. Still not the best team. 
uh, especially if you're only doing the road and street courses. Good luck. Uh, good luck, Tati. You're going to need it. Uh, we'll see what happens. But hey, Tony Kanan joins the roster of Chip. Well, not really joins, I guess, continues to be. Nobody really knew what was going to happen with that because he had a two-year deal to stay with Ganassi uh, to run the ovals. And then Jimmy Johnson said, oh, I'm going to run all the ovals too. So now it was like, okay, Chip Ganassi's got to field a fifth car for Tony Kanaan on the ovals. And I guess that's exactly what's going to happen. So Chip Ganassi Racing is going to have five cars at the Indy 500. Yay. In Marcus Erickson, Scott Dixon, Alex Polo, Jimmy Johnson, and Tony Kanaan, which, to be honest with you, is not a bad lineup if you look at it objectively. No. I mean, I feel like Marcus, I, I've slept since then. You know, you mentioned did, did Juan finish in the top 10 of the 500. But I feel like Marcus had a good 500 last year. Am I Marcus remembering that right? had a good right? year period last year. I mean, yeah, he had, he had a great wins. year period. But I feel like he, I mean, if, if, if Polo could have just had a little more better luck at Indy. But, uh, yeah, I think Chip Ganassi's got like a good shot at five top 10 finishes in the 500. Especially if Johnson can get his feet feet situated. Johnson seems pretty pretty confident about how he'll do on ovals. He he yeah. feels like he'll be able to contend for at the very least top fifteens, and I think he yeah. he's he's right on that. I think you know, I I think he'll finish like between tenth and and maybe fourteenth in that first race, uh, that first Texas race. I think, but by Indianapolis, I think he'll be more up to speed. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't see him going out in Texas and, and lighting the world on fire, but I, I see him qualifying fairly well in Indianapolis at the very least. I don't know how he'll race in Indianapolis, but I, I could see him qualifying well in Indy. I mean, it didn't, Kurt Busch was able to qualify well in Indy. And I feel like, you know, if you look at it, uh, Jimmy Johnson has more, Jimmy Johnson has a lot more experience in an open wheel car than now that Kurt Busch did at that time, which is why I kind of feel like he'll qualify probably a lot better than I don't I I can't determine how he'll race just because I need to see how he runs a Texas first, but I, I have a very strong feeling that Jimmy will qualify well at Indy. I agree. And this yeah. might be my way too early season prediction. Is that I mean who hey it's fun. It's January. It's it's still well it's February now, but it's it's still February, you know. It's February. It's fun to talk about some of this stuff. Yeah. Um. And then uh, one of the best pieces of news to fin- final round out the IndyCar news here is the Long Beach City Council has renewed the Long Beach Grand Prix through 2028, which is really awesome. So we'll have a Long Beach Grand Prix for at the very least another six years. Um. Now moving on to the, some supercars news. Uh, we talked about in I think the second to last, maybe the last uh, show we did. Uh, the supercar schedule was released. Well, apparently it's already changed. So Newcastle has been postponed and moved, and they're now Sydney. They will open the season at Sydney Motorsport Park uh, after COVID concerns in Newcastle. The format for the Sydney race has not yet been decided at the time of this recording. I'm sure we'll know within the next few, at the very least, within the next few days, maybe within the next few weeks. I have to imagine the supercar season is creeping up on us shortly. Um, it'll be here before we know it, just like the IndyCar season will be here before we know it. The NASCAR season is will be here this weekend. Um, we'll talk about this more and what's in the windshield, but, you know, I think it's getting there, but it's it's not a good sign when we're already having to move races down under. It's definitely not a good sign when we, we announced the 
schedule maybe two months ago, and now we've already we've already changed it up. We've already had to uh, do some cut and pasting. So anyway, uh, now for IMSA news, Ford Performance is returning to the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in the GTD Pro in the GTD classes uh beginning in 2024 with the ford mustang gt3 and this is another piece of news that i wanted to add as well in imsa is the they are returning to the name gtp for uh next year when the lmdh regulations are introduced so that'll be kind of cool it'll be the gtp gtp class so kind of a bit of a throwback to the 80s sports car racing if you're familiar with that so that's that's kind of neat. Um, yeah. We'll talk about more IMSA stuff when we get to the Rolex 24 uh, in a little bit. But uh, let's finish up the news with the NASCAR portion here real quick. In uh, one of the most unique pieces of news over the past month, I didn't know about this, Josh, but uh, this is actually the first I'm learning about this for some reason. Or maybe I've slept so long or I didn't. I missed this. I don't, I don't, uh, Richard Childress Racing will operate North Carolina's first professional bull riders team the Carolina Chaos, while Austin Dillon will serve as the team's general manager. Um, another NASCAR team has expanded beyond auto racing with Trackhouse sponsoring PGA Golf for James Hahn. Uh, Justin Mark said the partnership with Hahn is an effort to align the Trackhouse brand with athletes and personalities in other sports. That is interesting. Uh, some Daytona 500 news. Jacques Villeneuve. The 1995 Indianapolis 500, the 1997 F1 World Champion, has confirmed to it has been confirmed to con- attempt the Daytona 500 for Team Hesburgh with Rayum Brothers in the that number 27 that uh, tested and has shown up to some tests. So Jacques Villeneuve is going to and now Villeneuve has attempted the 500 before with. Uh, or he attempted to qualify with Bill Davis. Yes, in uh, I believe 08 it was. And, yeah, uh, that yeah he ran some races. I know he qualified or attempted to qualify for other races prior to that in 2007 as well. Uh, but this that was his first Daytona 500 attempt in 2008, and then obviously Bill Davis fell apart because Bill Davis didn't really know how to manage a team. I guess. For, well, first of all, if Bill Davis, two things Bill Davis did that were really stupid was building Toyota trucks behind Dodge's back and basically being in violation of contract and firing Ward Burton for no gosh darn reason. Yeah. Okay, those are two things Bill Davis... Now, don't get me wrong. I like Scott Wimmer. Okay. Isaac Jacob will kill me if I say anything negative about Scott Wimmer. But I... I, I Look him up on Twitter. He follows okay. me on Twitter. Okay. Wimmer fan. I think it's Wimmer 33 fan, maybe Wimmer fan. Okay. You'll know him if you see him. I thought, I thought, I thought you were talking about a friend of yours real quick. I'm like, okay, what? He's kind of a friend of mine. He follows okay. me on Twitter, so I consider him a friend of mine. Oh, anyway, okay. I can't say anything negative about Scott Wimmer. Uh, mentioning Scott Wimmer is probably good to him because I do like Scott Wimmer. I, I, Wimmer, I have no yeah. problem with Scott Wimmer. But, uh, you know, I felt like Bill Davis, it would have behooved him to keep Ward Burton and open a second car for Wimmer. Um, I felt like that could have been a better option for him, have Ward kind of mentor Scott, and you still have the experience, the relationship with Ward Burton. Uh, but I guess uh, maybe that wasn't feasible at the time. Maybe Cat didn't. Cat wanted Scott Wimmer over Ward. I don't know. I know Ward has said, talked about his dismissal, her firing from Bill Davis, and said it was it, kind of a, a shafting deal. 
Yeah, he so, really didn't make go into detail. Uh, was that the Dale Jr. download he was talking? It was. About? He did it with the Dale Jr. download, and he was on the Scene Vault podcast. Yeah, as well. both both those. I think Dale Jr. is one I'm remembering more. He's like he, he he said he wouldn't talk about it like in depth or like publicly like that. But I'm like, yeah, something. It sounds like it was it wasn't all just Bill Davis. It may have been like some people writing the checks. Probably so like change. Cat. So Cat wanted. Probably someone younger that could do actual, you know, didn't yeah. could, could could do uh could do promos for them without having it go viral, without having outtakes go viral. I guess. How many followers does Ward Burton have and likes does he have on Instagram? Man, I mean, he's just. You know what? Time changes a lot of people. Time does change a lot of people. You're you're exactly right. Time changes. You're exactly right. Uh, Ryan Priest will serve as Stuart Haas Racing's reserve driver and will race for Rick Ware Racing in two races plus the Clash in the Cup Series in addition to three Xfinity races and seven Truck Series events. And actually, actually, I like this because this partnership with Rick Ware and Stuart Haas is really good. It gives an opportunity for Stuart Haas to kind of expand their operations and give opportunities to drivers like Ryan Priest in this case. And it also helps uh, Rick Ware basically not only actually improve his team, which is something that he said he's going to do, he wants to do, uh, which is a far cry from what everyone thought he was doing when he wasn't really telling anybody what he was doing and just showing up with crap mobiles every week and having them load off the truck basically broken. Uh, I really hope that if, I, I hope that whatever Rick Ware car shows up to the clash, obviously with Ryan Priest, I don't think it'll be a problem, but if they throw in some like uh, Garrett, nah, some JJ Yaley guy, uh, you know, who should probably stay on dirt and stop trying to do NASCAR. I didn't say that. I'm sorry. Look at you. I'm sorry. JJ Yaley was more relevant at the Chili Bowl than he's been in NASCAR for years. Yeah, I'm just saying. You're 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 probably not wrong. You're yeah. Yaley more relevant. One moment, one moment a year in the Xfinity series. He has one moment each year, but in the Cup series, he just hasn't had the opportunity. He, the he never really was was made out for a, a stock car driver. Like I just, I don't know what people saw in Yaley. Sometimes I mean, everyone, everyone saw, saw, everyone thought that he was Tony Stewart. Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart, what they did could be translated. Very well, easily. I mean, and in, in, in all fairness, I mean, Casey Kane and Ryan Newman, you could throw those guys in there too and be like, well, they, it worked out well for them too. As Casey Kane and Ryan Newman have maybe 50 times more wins than J.J. Yaley does in NASCAR, but <laughs> they're not champions, but they're, they're still far more successful than Yaley was. They, 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 they did. But, I mean, they, but then again, look. You just had named four driver. We've named four drivers here. Two of them have the seven championships. The other two don't. Newman and has how, a five hundred victory. Casey Kane has a six hundred and a brickyard. Right. Newman has a brickyard. Casey has a brickyard. Casey has a six hundred. Newman might have. No, does Newman have a six hundred? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think he does. He's got all star wins. Does he? I don't know. I think he's just a Daytona and Indy. He's got Daytona and Indy, which is pretty much the two biggest races you could win. Yeah. Anyways, like it's tough to translate that. I don't think it's it's not. 
not everyone is going to be the next Jeff Gordon. Not everyone's going to be the next Tony Stewart. All right, those are very rare. I'm waiting for him. Yeah, I was just like, you, it's very rare to find, and and you know, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get more misses than you than you are makes. On, you know, speaking of people uh, swapping around, I'm gonna add a little piece of news here because this broke today, and I wanted to talk about it. Did you yep. see Elio Castroneves went on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio and said that he really wants to drive a, a, a NASCAR in NASCAR soon sometime? did not uh he that said is cool. he had asked he would ask roger penske every yeah, ro- every year or two if he could drive a cup car or or test a cup car or yeah. test a, an xfinity car or something and roger always told him no and now that he's not working for roger anymore he wants to feel around and see if someone will give him a test or or maybe he, get needs, to give, right. he needs to give his buddy aj allmendinger a call and and get hooked up a colleague Ah, uh, hey, put well. They've already decided who's in the All Star cars. Who's going to drive the All Star car this year? They already announced hey, that. Hey, but you know what? If you got it, I know. And no, it's this year's kind of tough ass. But why not bring a third car? Bring an open car. You got two chargers. Well, have, have you been hearing what they've been saying about the supply shortages right oh, now? I know. I know. Late, 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 later in the year, like maybe like around Indy, maybe around Watkins Glen, Charlotte, Roval. If you want, if you wants to do a road course, wait till the end, and then if he wants to do an oval, obviously, you know. He said he said in the interview he was looking at like Daytona or a road course. Okay. Yeah, we got you. Got you have plenty of road courses in the second half of the year. Uh, I, I'd say. I'd say uh, try to get signed up with one of those races. I want to say this, too. Uh, anyone who doubts Elio's ability, first of all, is foolish. But right. I think Elio, if he were, let's say hypothetically, if he showed up to the Daytona 500 in two, three weeks' time, uh, he showed up to duels in a car, uh, I would fully believe that he could, he could qualify. And the reason why is because you look at IRL drivers, uh, and when they do that transition, they almost always do better in the plate races. Or in yeah. super speedway races than they do in anything else because it's the closest thing they they know because uh, so, you know El- you think about elio elio was racing since you know in the irl since 2001 and it's on super speedways like texas and chicagoland and, and it's yeah. one races at texas and chicagoland and yes at, at um at kansas and and kentucky and michigan you know places that are are are, are quite literally yeah. You know, there those are super speedways to IndyCar. Those are the I mean, especially if you go out back, like over the off season, I've been watching so much old IRL clips because it just I miss it, and uh, I look go back and dude, some of those Texas races were just intense. I mean, Elio Castroneves versus Sam Hornish versus Gilles de Ferran. You know, I just oh my gosh, you couldn't get any better than that back in the day, and uh, and you'll never get better than that, by the way. Uh, but then you look at Hornish, and Hornish came over and, and and was not bad actually at plate races. He was, I mean, it took him a while to get decent in the, especially when he went back down to Xfinity. He became fairly good in a front runner at, at other tracks, but he was like a, a threat to win almost every plate race. And I think a lot of that was because of his experience in the IRL. And I agree. Juan Montoya can probably fall into the same category. AJ Allmendinger, Danica Patrick specifically. Heck, Danica Patrick was probably had her best opportunities to win at, at plate races was because yeah. of how good she was on those IRL super speedways. Yeah. Uh, like Michigan, like Chicagoland, like Kansas, like uh, Fontana, you know, those places that she ran. Um, yeah, just, you know, thinking about that, 
I'd, I'd be curious to see what Elio could do because it seems like at, at 45, Elio's just not slowing down. He's he's getting faster, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. This dude's having like a Mark Martin-style career renaissance where, you know, Mark Martin, you think about it, think about it, as, as much as I don't like it, David Land brought up a good point. Uh, I don't like him personally, but David Land brought up a good point on Twitter where he was talking about, you know, in 2017, we were all figuring Elio's cast, Elio's career was winding down. Well, what were we thinking in 2005? That Mark Martin's career was winding down. What happened in 2009? Mark Martin's contending for a championship. What's happened in 2021? Elio Castroneves is winning every big major race that he's entered. Yeah. You, you know, I it it's very interesting to see that, and I and I would I think Mark was about Elio's age when he was doing that. We're in his 40s yeah. or early late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, around there. He was in this. I don't think he's in his fifties, but he was like mid forties, probably around that time. Mark Martin's yeah. always looked like he's was sixty, even when he was like thirty. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, which is weird. Why his nickname was Mark the Kid Martin when he looked, he didn't look anything like a kid. Who who, who knows how names are formed? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I got off topic there talking about Elio possibly running some NASCAR, but it was relevant. Yeah. Um. A guy that uh, finally found a ride is Matt DiBenedetto, and he has landed a full-time ride in the Campbell Truck Series with Rackley WAR in the number 25 Chevrolet. Uh, I guess he's happy. Well, I mean, big... I, I, I'm not going to say anything. NASCAR Xfinity Series team Sam Hunt Racing announced that Jeffrey Earnhardt will pilot a second car for the team at Daytona, and John Hunter Nemechek will drive the team's primary car at Las Ve- at both Las Vegas races. The uh, So that's news for Sam Hunt Racing. David Reagan will pilot Rick Ware Racing's number 15 Ford in the Daytona 500. That I'm surprised about. I, I guess the part... I know he's been driving what is technically a Rick Ware fielded car, then essentially a front row branded car but now i guess he's going full on with the rick ware branding now i don't i guess front row is i, I maybe his contract when you get it or whatever well when i mean they, they got this huge partnership now rick ware does with ford and stewart haas racing it's not I, I really the rick ware 2022 is going to look a lot different than the rick ware of 2021 and before just from a well, heck, i'm excited standpoint. for it. So, I mean, yeah, I think he sees an opportunity where, look, all I got to do is hang out in the back. Avoid the chaos. We're here to win the race. He's not here to race for points. I mean, yeah, the car's for points, but he's not there to race for points. He's here to win the race. That's it. Plain and simple. No, I mean, and and, and I've been harsh on Rick Ware Racing a lot on this podcast, but I'm actually excited to see what they're doing because Cody Cody Ware seems fairly excited, or, or at least from what he said on Twitter, he seems fairly uh, confident about what the team has going into next year. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they've got they've got that the, the whatever the uh, anti migraine medication that is sinking money into their team. I mean, they're they seem to be doing pretty well. Getting, I mean, they they re upped for a whole nother season on Cody Ware's car, and I think they're going to sponsor Sato again in in IndyCar. So good, good for them. Yeah. Um, and then, oh my gosh, I can't believe this wasn't higher up in the news. This, this this is crazy to me. I can't believe this is happening. 
Um, M&M's and parent company Mars Corporation announced that they would be leaving NASCAR after 2022, and uh, driver Kyle Busch has expressed his desire to remain with Joe Gibbs Racing after this season. I cannot believe M&M's is leaving the sport, so, but at the same time, someone said, you know, there gets to a point where you've been in it for so long, you've done everything you can do with the sponsorship, and it just becomes redundant. I mean, I, I feel like in this- someone said that, you know, Mars has has gotten their ROI on it, and yeah. it's time to cash out and go home. You well, know, they, they they said in like their release that it was just time to try something different. You know, yeah. uh, you know they look they've been here with Skittles was the primary sponsor of Derek Cope back in yeah. 1997. Yeah, so 97 to 2022, they've been the lead. The, they've been the sole sponsor, or at least the heavy primary sponsor of a car. For all those years, no, you know? I, yeah, you're right. Because because as soon as it became M and M's in like '98 with Ernie Irvin, and then Schrader took over the card and went like late '99 after Irvin retired, Schrader took over the car after he got re- so 2000, yeah, and then he was with, they were with Schrader through '02, and then they went to Robert Yates with Sadler, and they stayed on through with Gilliland, and then. Through nice 2007 with, with Gilliland, and then they've been with Kyle Busch since since 20, oh. 2008. Yeah, so that's 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 long. That's a long time. Yeah, I mean that's I mean it's 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 the Lowe's. I mean Lowe's was people forget Lowe's was in NASCAR as a full time sponsor since like ninety one, ninety two, something like that. When they First left, as I Jimmy, remember is ninety six with Brett Bodine. Was it ninety six? Ninety six. Ninety five. Ninety six. I think with Brett Bodine. Okay, maybe move a little later there. But anyways, I mean, it's a long time there. It was a long sponsor tenure, and mm-hmm. and Target left NASCAR. That would, but they were Target in the left period, and that's been bothering me forever. I wish I missed Target cars. Yeah, yeah. Did you take the IndyCar survey, global survey? Yes, or, I did. One yes, of the one of the questions here. This is what look, if someone's from Target is listening to this, listen up. Um. When you say, what are three sponsors that you identify? Target is one of those three. I think of IndyCar, Target pops up. My number one was Firestone. <laughs> well, I had Verizon. I had uh, Target. Yeah, I had Verizon, and, too. Yeah, so it's just like, I, I, I look, Target, they're gone, but they still identify Target with IndyCar. So, I said, I mean, it's the power of sponsorship. I said Firestone, Verizon, and NTT Data. Those are the three that I, because I, I, I thought it was asking like right now. Right I now. thought that's what the question was asking. If it was like in the past, I would have probably said something like, like I still would have said Verizon and Firestone, but I probably would have said Target too, or at the very least like, um, Izod. I, I, I literally only associate still to this day. I still associate Izod with IndyCar. You're right. Every time I buy or see Izod clothing, yeah, I immediate, I still think about IndyCar. Yeah, I that's how impactful at least they're. I mean, the people at IZOD can say whatever they want about how they think their sponsorship of the IndyCar series went, but to me, I'll say it was a complete success because it it absolutely influenced what kind of clothes I bought for about three years there. Right, right. that's what that's what sponsorship is supposed to do in sport, and you know, I I think again the power of that is you know Verizon comes to mind that I put Target and Carvana. That's a very that's a very new sponsor. I don't even think about Carvana, so that sounds bad. 
I mean, but the, the Carvana just pumped so much stuff out last year. That's what that's what came to mind. So that's just again M and M's bringing it back to M and M's here. It's just a power. You've been here for so long. You've established it. Will you ever be able to look at another package of M and M's and not think of NASCAR in some way? No, I won't be able to. Um, and I yeah, often I can't to- drink. I couldn't drink a Budweiser without thinking of Dale Junior. Okay. I couldn't drink a Pepsi without thinking about Jeff Gordon. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't think I could. Uh, shop at Home Depot or Lowe's without thinking of Tony Stewart and Jimmy Johnson. I, I still, to this day, I can't dr- uh, drink uh, Mountain Dew without thinking about Casey Kane and how I would always, it was, I had to have a Mountain Dew, a bottle of Mountain Dew every Sunday. I had these weird superstitions as a kid that I had to buy Casey's sponsors and I had to wear Casey's, st- I, I had to make sure that my parents drove the Dodge van that we had because it had to be dodge i had these weird superstitions where i had to have everything of casey's sponsor or whatever or his color i had to be wearing at least something red you know i had to be wearing a red shirt or something uh in order for him to do well and uh and it for some reason it worked out that where when i did that stuff he did well and when i didn't do that stuff he didn't he did it poorly so i just continued to believe it until like 2006 where it just kind of hit me that oh he's just good and it doesn't matter. Hey, that, that that's 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 fandom and superstition meeting and mating together there. Yeah, yes, yeah. It, it 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 was it yeah. was okay. Uh, another bombshell that broke over the off season is Eric Almirola has announced that 2022 will be his final full time season. He will retire following the season's conclusion to spend more time with family. So pulling the Brian Scott uh, excuse there which also could be my sponsor decided they didn't want to sponsor me anymore and I don't want to, I'm too old to find another one, which is probably what I actually think happened. I have no confirmation of that. That's me speaking out of my butt, but I, I, it's what I honestly think what happened. Smithfield was like, dude, we see the writing on the wall with Ebenems. We've gotten everything we can out of the sponsorship. We're done after this year. And, Almiron is like, okay, well, I'll get the jump on you. I'll just retire. Yeah. Place Uno reverse card. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right, and uh, the last piece of news here, the big piece of news, the big happy, happy piece of news here is that Speedway Motorsports president and CEO Marcus Smith has shared his vision for the future of North Wilkesboro Speedway during the Wilkes County Chamber of Commerce 75th membership celebration embarked within the North Carolina state budget that was passed November in November was $18 million toward infrastructure improvements at the historic uh, 0.625 mile facility. That money Smith said will go a long way towards modernizing the iconic venue to bring motorsports concert and other entertainment options to the Wilkes County region. So it looks like uh, we've got serious work. I mean, I saw, uh, I saw some videos and pictures of, you know, Work is actually being done to Wilkesboro. They're tearing down what should be basically condemned buildings and hopefully rebuilding them uh, up. And it like work is already starting on yeah. this track. That's that's really huge to see. They've already got their own official Twitter page. So yep. You don't have to deal with Save the Speedway constantly tweeting you every time you say something about putting dirt on the track. <laughs> Which is a real thing that happens. It happened to us. So it happened to us. I'm still, I still say it. I think he just quit paying attention to me. Um, yeah, they do it to everybody, dude. I have seen people like all the time. The people like replying to Bob Pockers or whatever. They'll just go through like reporters' replies and then 
reply to all these people suggesting they put dirt on the track and saying, no, it can never happen. We can't do that. Hey, if For they this end up, reason, hey, that reason. If they end up, do not, I mean, it looks like they're going to resurface it and repave it. That doesn't yeah. mean they can't put dirt down on it. If they do it to end. Bristol, they could do it to Wilkes. Absolutely. I think it'd be easier oh, to do it. They could really do it to any track they want if they could do it to Bristol. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. I, yeah, I, we but, could put it on Darlington and have just a fun little crap show. I, I know, you gagged. I'm sorry. I was thinking of the worst possible thing we could do. I mean, the it. only way you could go worse there is, say, Talladega. That's no. the only way you could have upped that to be that's worse. That's not even safe. <laughs> that's not even practical. Darlington would be like, uh, it would be Monza Madness, but yeah. uh, without the Kyle Larson slur. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it would be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 first show into 2022, we've already thrown salt in. Well, give it to season four. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, we'll do we'll season one. four. Okay. Oh, boy. Josh, we're doing featured paint schemes. We're doing featured paint schemes. I had a lot of fun with this one because I got to actually pick one that I wanted to talk about. Uh, and it wasn't it, – it's it's predictable, but it's, it's not. Because um, I could have picked a one-off, and I could have just picked another – Brendan Gaughan scheme. I could have picked some throwback scheme, but no, I went different. I went different. I went very different. I went for a car that didn't even finish the race, but is still my favorite. Um, memorable wreck, though. It is a memorable wreck. Uh, we're talking about the 2015 NASCAR Sprint Cup Series. We're featuring a paint scheme. So again, if you're new to the show, because it is season four, and I imagine that we have some new viewers, and I talked about we're switching up the segment a little bit. This is about, for returning visitors, this is like, what are you talking about? You said you were going to switch up the schedule. You just did the news, and now you're doing the featured paint scheme. What's different? Trust me, we're getting to that. Um, we're talking about the featured paint scheme, which is a very fun time for all of us where we pick a series, we pick a year, and we talk about any paint scheme from that year, and we just give highlight about it. We we showcase the fact that this is art on a, on a race car. And uh, it's really fun, and you can play along too at home. With, use the hashtag Robin Roller or reply to the uh, tweet well, uh, anytime you want and, and show us your featured paint scheme from the 2015 NASCAR Sprint Cup Series. So, Josh, why don't you go ahead and share yours, and then I'll share mine, and then we'll do one last plug to get everybody else involved. All right. Well, there were several 2015 schemes I could have gone with, really and truly. Um but I did go with like a classic choice of mine. I went with something Jeff Gordon. All right. If you're new to the show, spoiler alert, Jeff Gordon is my all time favorite driver. All right. Uh, just, just the way it is. Like I say, if you're new, you'll probably hear me reference it. Several of his paint schemes, both in the past and in the future. And that's a great way to say that, you know, I picked my favorite driver, Casey Kane. Yeah. And so I'm not going to tell what car yet, but yeah. You Don't love Jeff Gordon. I love Casey Kane. They're both sadly retired. Uh, Jeff's not doing much. They were both at Chili Bowl. Jeff was yeah. uh, doing some commentary in the Flow Racing booth, and yep. Casey made it to the B main. Yep. So. And Casey's going to run the full World of Outlaws this year. Yes, he is. He's going to mm -hmm. restore. I mean, we talked about that in the, the two podcasts ago, I think, yeah, but two, it's still three, pretty yeah. huge. Yeah, so it would be. So you might think I'm going to pick Gordon's Rainbow Throwback from Bristol. And uh, while I will say the rainbow car looks better on the SS compared to the Camaro, yes, I did say that. Uh, I did not go with this car in this scheme. 
I am instead going with a scheme that stirs my own nostalgia instead of the overall classic Jeff Gordon nostalgia. And I'm going with his Pepsi scheme from this year. Uh, it was a take on the flame base scheme that he ran all that season, but with blues intertwining the car and the flames instead of the the black and the red, the yellow and the orange. Um, whether intentional or not, it reminded me of, of Gordon's 2001 and 2002 Pepsi schemes, which were just blue base with a Pepsi logo on the hood and two DuPont logos on the hood. All right. That was it to the car. But this reminded me of that. So it was kind of, to me, I'm like, it's his final season. They're giving a nod to what was the first Pepsi scheme in the cup series for him. And it just like, oh, this is this is just amazing. Um, but Gordon raced his car twice at the August Michigan race, which ironically used to be called the Pepsi 400, by the way. Um, he started 21st and finished 17th. Gordon was absolutely atrocious on those tracks that year. I will stand here, and, or sit here, I'm sitting, not standing, but I will sit here and say that if Gordon would have had the same package in 14 as in, or in 15 as he did in 14 he would have had a much better farewell season uh but because we like to change up the packages every single darn year whatever but he had much better luck in phoenix uh later that year he's already locked into the championship four race at homestead but he f- started 11th and finished sixth which i believe was a rain out race and it was junior's last career victory now that i think about it Pretty sure that's what happened there. But anyways, yeah, this car just picked solely on uh, the nostalgia side that it kind of reminded me because I became a NASCAR and a Jeff Gordon fan in 2001. So the scheme immediately when I first saw it come out, especially when I saw it on the track, because the renderings didn't do the car justice, uh, was just like, wow, this spells 2001 with a touch of 2014 because of 2014 scheme essentially on a 2015 car. Um, so that was my feature paint scheme. Rob, by the way, before you say yours, if you want me to, I might be able to find this car diecast for you. Uh, would you at one of these antique places? And it's your, and it'd be, and it'd be the favorite scale of yours, 164th. So next time I'm up at this one place, I'll see if it's there because he's okay. always got a variety of cars. So why don't you tell everyone what car I'm talking about? All right, I am I am actually really really excited for that now. All right, so my favorite is going to go to Casey Kane's number 5 Aquafina Chevrolet SS from Pocono in August that he promptly crashed into the pit road wall uh in spectacular fashion, sending spectacular a bunch fashion. of things flying and finishing dead last in the race. Uh that's okay oh. because the 2015 season was Casey's worst season since 2010 as it was his first winless season since 2010, his first winless season since joining Hendrick in 2012. And uh, overall, just a season for me to completely forget. Uh, for Gordon fans, I'm sure it was a great season because you, uh, you know, went to the Final Four. For Casey Kane fans like me, it was a season where I was just like, please end this. Please end my suffering. Uh, probably how most Ryan Newman fans felt after the last two years. Just end my suffering. Uh, anyway, but uh, I'm talking about this car because, let's be honest, it was one of the best-looking Casey Kane cars since, uh, good Lord, probably since the Red Bull days. Yeah, yeah, probably since the Red Bull days. No, oh, what what are you thinking about? You think he had a better look at cars sometime? Yeah, I, I like some of his farmer schemes, farmers insurance. No, and I'm not saying they were bad schemes, but those were those were primaries. I was 
thinking of like one. Well, did he want? He didn't really have any. He didn't have a one off in Red Bull. You're right. No, you're right. He just had the same. You're right. You're right. I was. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. I was thinking something different. Okay. Anyway, yeah. um, I just like this car. I mean, it really looks like it makes me want water. It makes me thirsty every time I I see it. But anyway, I just like talking that, about this car. This was a cool looking car. Uh, it was. It, really there was. hasn't been anything like it, really, yeah. since before or since then. I mean, this car quite literally the 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 graphic detail of the water on this car is so. I mean, it it looks like it's a water bottle with condensation on it. This is what like when we we always complain about there's not enough painted paint uh, cars out there anymore it's all wrap this car you have to wrap you can't get this effect yeah. from a paint booth so it's, this is where like having a wrap will make the difference compared to Johnny Painter in the, in the booth so yeah this is right. this is a great car i agree with that okay um i'm going to move on because I really don't have anything else to say about by, about my featured paint scheme other than I love it. I mean, I wish I had a happier story to talk about, but Casey wrecked and the car finished dead last. I have nothing, no great story to tell about it other than car pretty. <laughs> yeah, well, when, when, hey, when you when you Google or, or, or search on YouTube, uh, a uh, spectacular NASCAR crashes. This is probably going to be on one of them. Highlights of Casey Kane's career, or maybe not non-highlights of Casey Kane's career. This is going to be one of those. I mean, it's going to make every list out there. So that and the 2010 Pocono, where he oh gosh, yeah, that was a very he got blocked into the grass, and then went from the grass into the wall and almost flipped out of the track. And it's the main the it is the exact reason why Pocono had to add catch fencing around the whole track, which I think ruined the aesthetic of Pocono. But I digress. Uh, It helped get IndyCar back at least, but. Um. Yeah, it definitely did because let's be honest, we, Robert Wickens would have been in 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 the bushes if that if that wreck had happened in twenty two thousand ten and two thousand nine. He would have flown out of the track a bit of the bushes. Yeah, I don't. I I don't know if he would have been less injured. Maybe. That, that's tough to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. It's to, it's something interesting to think about. It's tough to talk about, but it's interesting to think about. Yeah. yeah. Like what would be what would be theoretically more safe? Just flying out of the and track and landing in the bushes or getting your car sh- ripped to shreds by the catch fencing. Depends on how the car lands. I guess you're right. I mean, because there has lands. to be some kind of legitimate solution to the catch fencing ripping cars apart and injuring drivers and fans still. Like it's it's doing their job but it's not doing the job well. I think the only, I mean, a clear piece of really strong right. glass. There's, no, there's not been a, 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 a practical solution yet. No. It's, it's kind of disappointing. And it, it does make me wonder sometimes is would it kind of be safer if the car, if, we, if it was a situation like Pocono where there's no, nothing, nothing out there but like some grass. It's not like the car is flying into a camping area it's just flying into like some bushes you know would that be safer than having it get ripped to shreds in in i i don't i genuinely don't know we need uh it would be tougher to reach the driver the marshals to reach the driver that's for sure yeah which would would be a problem but other like if if it wasn't like a life-threatening injury where the driver could just climb out 
I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, all depends on what they hit and how they land, especially right. in an open wheel car. In a in a stock car, it's a little bit different, but it's an open wheel car. It just depends on how they. Oh, in a stock car, land. you probably wouldn't need it at all. It wouldn't matter, yeah. unless it was Talladega or something like that, where the car could flip out and then fall two stories. You know, yeah, because that's uh, what'll happen. I mean, you go, you go, you flip fly out of Talladega like uh, uh, back well, in the Jimmy Horton, Jimmy Horton, yeah. In uh, 93, I think it was. Yeah, uh, or there. You know, you have something like that happen. And uh, which is, and another interesting fun fact about that is, did you know that the driver, Stanley Smith, actually suffered what was essentially a basilar skull fracture, which is yeah. the same thing that killed Adam Petty and Dale Earnhardt, Kenny Irwin, all that? But he survived it. He, he never raced yeah. again, but he survived. Which yeah. is nuts to think of. In 1993, survives a basilar skull fracture in a NASCAR accident. It ends his career entirely, but he survives the accident. You talk about one lucky guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Jimmy Horton, the car who flipped out of the track and the same thing, survived as well. Yeah. That was a very, yeah. NASCAR mm-hmm. just was playing with fire back then, though. Well, the weren't all racing series, though. I mean... They all were. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was it, it was less than a year later that... Um, uh, Talking about Daytona? Neil Bonnet died, yeah. yeah and and uh, Rodney Orr died, too. And Rodney Orr, yeah. It was less than a year after that, so... NASCAR got lucky twice at Talladega, and then it bit him in the butt by not doing anything about it. But come Daytona. They lost... Uh, Neil Bonnet and Rodney Orr. Anyway, let's talk. Let, let's let's stay controversial because I've I I he I I turned the oven up a little bit on controversy stuff. Uh, obviously, yeah. that question is a hypothetical. I'm not actually suggesting we tear down catch fencing for the sake of safety. That sounds ridiculous to even think about. But it's an interesting question to maybe ponder going forward is what how you know it, when it just comes to talking about safety is what is more safe you know do is there a feasible solution to catch fences shredding cars in two or is it uh, something what what needs to be done is there anything that could be done anyway but that this is where we go in because we're we're switching things up as you know we're oh say give or take about an hour or so in to the podcast now and normally we'll be talking about the races by this time, but this time we want to move the upshift downshift segment up so that we have more time to talk about the upshift downshift segment, and we spend less time kind of talking about the nitty gritty picky details about the race, the races. Unless there's something major that we want to talk about, we'll cover that in in the racing in the season, the weekend wrap up, or in this case, the off season wrap up. Uh, we'll talk about that, but. We'll we'll spend less time talking about maybe strategies on cars, you know, different decisions. You know, we'll be we'll spend less time kind of going through every every step of the race and more time kind of sticking to a broad general idea and more time talking about controversial subjects and more time discussing things like with now. So we're going to move right into the upshift and downshift. And so for if for our new listeners, if you're new to this podcast, welcome. Thank you for joining us. For the first episode of season four, we're going to go down with uh, what 
Upshift and Downshift is all about. So we are presented a series of hypothetical questions and or statements. Josh and I, we both answer these questions by giving our opinion and whether or not we upshift, meaning we agree, and downshift, meaning we disagree. And you can play along at home. We'll post these questions on our Twitter as well, and you can use the hashtag RobinRoller if you can't find our Twitter for whatever reason, which I'll plug at the end of the show. But uh, anytime you can use that hashtag Robin Roller to play along with us and tell us whether you upshift or downshift. And also there'll be a special Spotify question of the week, uh, in which case we'll take a upshift to downshift question. I'll pick it completely randomly or whatever I think is the most controversial or the most spicy. And I will put that and you can answer that Spotify users and listeners can answer that directly in the app. If you're listening on iTunes or if you're listening on uh Google Podcasts, I'm sorry, you'll have to go to Twitter, but if you're listening through Spotify because we publish our podcast through Anchor, uh, we have that ability where we can ask you these questions. You're going to go first, and then I'm going to go and My piece. And I feel like I have I'm spitballing this. I have no concrete wordage or anything to to, to back this up. But I feel like I wanted Jamie McMurray in there, and maybe there's a couple other people who or a couple other people they had choices to pick from, and they just didn't want to go on the road every week, right? So I said, okay, well, want to rotate? You want can you want to do these so many races? Maybe that's what happened here. But Tony Stewart's a big name, so let's have Tony Stewart do the Clash in the Daytona 500. Um, I guess I'd upshift. It's going to mix things up, you know. You're as long as, they're not going to put anyone in there who's not educated, right? They're going to put you know they're going to put people who know what they're doing. Um, they're not they're not going to put Travis Pastrana in this booth. You don't think Travis right. Pastrana would be fun to listen to? He'd be fun to listen to, but he wouldn't. I don't think he would provide much. Information just be reacting to everything. Yeah, he's been. Oh my gosh, that's cool. But Tony Stewart's going to be able to give you something that is going to further the conversation with Clint and Mike in the in the in the race broadcast. So as long as they're giving people people in the booth, which I'm sure they will, who do that, then yeah, I I, I like this. I, I upshift. It's different. It's going to take time to adjust, but I upshift. I okay. I'm I'm gonna say this. What I really, 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 really want more than, than anything in the whole world. Well, not as much as I want NASCAR to move the numbers back. Probably the thing that I want second oh, I, most. Uh, real quick, I'll give you credit. It only took you an hour to mention the numbers of the car. So, all right, that's good. <laughs> uh I'm not gonna go into it. I, people know my piece. People know my. I was like. Look, I, I'm used to them, but it doesn't mean I like them. Like, I'm finally used to them, but it doesn't mean that I like them. Yeah. If, if they went back to them tomorrow, I would probably rejoice and celebrate. But I'm at the point where it, it's not used. I, I, can, I can poke fun at it, but I'm not going to beat the dead horse anymore. 
you know like i'm gonna i'm gonna make jokes about it and how much i don't like it but i'm not gonna sit here and go on a 20 minute rant about how stupid it is because ultimately it doesn't matter it's just an aesthetic thing for me and it it's not really much of a big deal just because i don't like it doesn't mean other people don't either they there's clearly people who seem to like it but for me i just do not care i hate it and i would love it if they moved them back but it's not gonna affect how much i enjoy racing it's not gonna affect how much i you know watch nascar but it's probably going to affect how i feel about paint schemes and how many die casts i buy okay you know what i mean yeah but anyway uh going off of that uh, what I really, really want is for, at the very least, them to just put Larry Mack in the booth for Throwback Weekend, for the Darlington race. That's the least yeah. they can do for me. That's yeah. the least they can do. Because there was a tweet where Larry Mack put out, literally, he said he it, it was not a matter of him not wanting to travel. He does miss going to the race weekend. He hates being in Charlotte the whole time. He'd rather travel. And I feel like this is a, this is an opportunity where Fox could utilize Larry Mack as the third man in, uh, you know, what is said, what could be essentially fan service, or at the very least, put him in. Like, if they want to use Tony Stewart, and then if they want to go out and they want to get someone else, they want to go out, get, you know, hey, I'll throw, I'll say, please, uh, please someone get Danica, because she was re- she's really good in SRX. Danica. She's good. Look, she's I, good. I'm being objective. She's, she's a good color commentator. She, okay, she is good. She she's done very well. She did very well in SRX and with her IndyCar coverage. She was very excellent there. Yes, and she was good when she was doing uh, guest commentary with Fox in the Xfinity broadcasts. Like she's good. She knows what a car is. It doesn't matter what how people view her career. The fact of the matter is, she knows what the car needs. She knows everything that a race car driver would and she provides valuable commentary she's good behind a camera and that's what got her the sponsorship deals that kept her racing career going for so long and that should be commended the fact of the matter is she can broadcast very well and i think she should be considered along with larry mack uh along with you know i i don't know who else they could grab that is a notable retired driver that would be willing to do it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they could grab Jimmy Johnson on an off weekend or something. I, I don't even know if he'd be interesting to listen to in the booth, but he might He might not be li- interested, interesting to listen to, but he could, you know, pick up some interesting... Or how about this? Does Fox still employ Wally Dollenbeck? Uh, no, right? I don't think I don't so think anymore, so. right? I don't think so. I thought That'd he was good. on Race Hub for a long time, but they, hey, hey, there's another choice. But they, they have to be good. They have to be... They have to be good. They can't. They can't be. You know, if they wanted to, like I said, I'm fine with them doing this. If they want to put Michael Waltrip in there for a little bit, I think the Michael Waltrip Clint Boyer banter would be good. I think Danica Patrick Clint Boyer banter would be good because I remember their tenure as teammates was kind of interesting, um, <laughs> if yeah. I recall correctly. I there's some uh, radio bites that I remember very very well. I think that could be entertaining. In and of itself, I just say they have to do this right. They have to be honest with themselves about it. Is what's going to be entertaining to listen to from as 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 a fan? You know, you don't want to get someone who's absolutely grating to the ears. You know what I mean? They have to be kind of careful with who they get. With Tony Stewart has broadcast experience. He's done this before. He's very funny. He's great with uh. You know, go watch any compilation of uh 
Tony Stewart dealing with the media or Tony Stewart during a rain delay, and he's great. You know, I don't have a problem with Tony Stewart. I'm curious to see who they go. So honestly, I'm going to upshift this for right now, but it, it could. it's not a very hard upshift. All right, question. Uh, IndyCar recently conducted a global fan survey. One question not featured was the ideal number of races on the calendar. 22 races is an ideal number for IndyCar. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh? I kind of upshift this one, um, especially if they fill it all with ovals. You know, they have 17 races now. They could put five ovals on there. That's what I would like to see. So, yeah, I, I, I upshift that. I, I think 17 just feels too too little. And um, from the time they start racing to the time they end, I just feel there's too many off weekends. Uh, too big a gaps in between races in some in some cases. I so, always pers- not to interrupt you, but keep 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 your thought here. I just wanted to add something. I always felt like the minimum amount of races for a major racing series like IndyCar, like F1, like NASCAR, uh, is twenty. The yeah. minimum races for something that is considering itself to be the pinnacle of a certain formula in racing should be at minimum twenty races. Yeah, I agree. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. Basically, twenty races to me. If you're right around that ballpark, and that's not even to me, I would even go as far as to say twenty-two race weekends. So that's not even counting doubleheader things. So if you want to have three races, three race weekends with a doubleheader, you'd have twenty-five total races. So that that's where I would stand on that. As long as you're racing twenty-two weekends, IndyCar, you're good. I upshift. Yeah, I. I, I upshift this as well, and I'm glad you're mentioning this global fan survey because uh, one of the main things I do upshift about it is that you know they 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 ultimately need more 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 races, um, and I I was very I, I tried to be very open on this fan survey. One of the things I said, and I said this in the, at the very end, they were like, "Do you have any additional comments?" And I was like, I was like, "Yeah, you know." I'm sure this is beating into the ground and stuff, but like the fact of the matter is I I just want more ovals and I don't want ovals at tracks that I can't get to. I want ovals at tracks that I can get to. I want, I want Michigan. I want Kentucky. I want, you know, Chicagoland. I want those tracks, those tracks that I could take a day trip and drive there or a weekend that I could just go to these tracks, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to take a day trip to mid-Ohio. It's not interesting to me. I don't care. If I want to see a road course race, I could go to the Grand Prix. You know, if, if I want to see an oval race, I'll go to the 500, which I do. But if I want to see a different kind of oval racing, I, I have no option for that anymore, and it bothers me. And I would really love to be able to take a weekend trip and go to Michigan, go to Kentucky, go to Chicagoland, somewhere in there. And I don't really feel like going to Gateway. Gateway is not interesting to me. Iowa is too far away from me. I just, I, I don't, I, I, I said that I was very candid and, and just basically telling them, I was like, look, I told you how much I'm willing to pay for a ticket, and I told you what racetracks I want. I'll continue to go to Indianapolis, whether I'm credentialed or as a fan. It doesn't matter to me. I'll keep going to the 500 every year. If you open up the opportunity for me to go to a race weekend in Michigan again, I'll be one of the first people to buy tickets. 
And I know that I, that might I might be an outlier. I don't know how many other people probably said that. But ultimately, the biggest problem IndyCar has right now is a lack of compelling oval racing. The Indianapolis 500 is great. Texas used to be great. And I have some confidence that Texas will return to being a good racetrack at some point. I don't know what they need to... The PJ1 either needs to wear off or get repaved over it or something. And then I'm sure the racing will return uh, to being good or as good as it has been. But ultimately, I'm sorry, but Indianapolis and Texas are not cutting the mustard for me. Like, I need some other big oval race to keep my interest high. You know, I like, I'm sorry, I don't get Pocono. excited. Huh? Michigan, Pocono. Right. I, and I, 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 I didn't mention Pocono in that. I mentioned the three racetracks that I... I can drive to, you know, I, that's why I said, you know, I suggested, I said, yeah, I'd love it if you brought back Pocono, but I'd love it even more if you went to these three racetracks that are within driving distance that I could take a day trip to go see them and make it worth my wild, while, I mean, not to say, that's not to say that people who go to road America don't get their, their money's worth. I'm sure they do. It's just not my cup of tea. I, I, I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch an IndyCar road race in person. I've seen the Grand Prix in person. It's fine. It's cool. It, but it's not the 500, and it's not the Michigan or Kent, Kentucky races that I saw. Those are exciting to me. And it doesn't even have to be side-by-side, wall-to-wall craziness like we saw at Fontana in 2015. It could just be a good race where cars are less than a second running nose-to-tail and drafting and passing. It doesn't have to be a big pack race. You know, yeah. give me an old cart style race. I don't care. You know, just give me a big oval race again, and I'll I'll be happy. And I feel like my interest level in IndyCar will surpass that of where it is in NASCAR and F1 right now. Uh, and and I feel bad that to say that because I feel like IndyCar, my interest level in IndyCar should be much higher than those, but it's just not. Once Texas is over and once Indianapolis is over, it's kind of like, okay, I'm. I know already I'm going to watch the rest of the season on my phone. You know what I mean? I'm going to watch the rest of the season with my phone in my hand. You know, I'm going to be half paying attention to the race and following the rest of it on Twitter because I need to figure out what strategies are going. And I'm not just being like, I don't give a crap what strategies are going. I'm just watching this be great. Like I used to watch, like I didn't care about strategies back in the day. I just watched the great racing. And now I'm like, Oh, I have to find other things about this that I enjoy. I know I've talked too much about this. Um, so I'm going to move on to that because that wasn't even the big topic. I just wanted to rant about that and and state my piece on the global fan survey because that was, like I think, the only opportunity I was going to get to talk about it. I don't know. Do you want to, while we're here, do you want to say anything about your responses to the global fan survey? I mean, I think I had a very similar comment there at the end of opening it up. I, I mean, I said, I kind of went with the realistic tracks in the sense of i don't think chicago is coming back kentucky is oh i firmly believe kentucky's possible i well there's I think been kentucky, kentucky is upset that they lost the cup date I mean, and the xfinity they they would love to get racing back I, i'm sure i'm sure they would what i don't know what the others the state of the other minds of what do they want to host a race or not so i've listed michigan pocono richmond kansas and homestead i said these these 
five oh, tracks. Kansas, modern Kansas would be yeah. awesome to the, watch an IndyCar race on. Yeah, these five tracks are the most likely ovals you could go to. Um, and I, I say if you could add all five, that would be fantastic. Like just straight add them. Don't don't replace them with something else, but but add them. So that to me would be you know that that right there is that would be. Nine twenty two races. If you add five be, races well, onto be, the seventeen, that would be twenty two. Yeah, that would be but that would be nine oval weekends. So to me, like that that's a great balance when you look at twenty two races total, nine of them are ovals, or twenty two race weekends total, nine of them be ovals, the others are a mix of street and road. I feel like that right there makes IndyCar easily I mean just I mean it already is, but I mean just solidifies that it is the most diverse open wheel form of racing on the planet um and it is it would make it the second most in my opinion the second most diverse schedule in all of auto racing on on the face of the earth so yeah i i think i we probably had very similar responses across the board other ways um but i thought it was a great it was very in-depth it would it took longer than i expected which i thought was good um you you, you know, heavily disagreed on the question that asked if IndyCar should have stages or halftime breaks. Oh gosh, yes, I heavily disagreed. Like, no, no, I'm pretty no, sure no. everybody did. The big yeah. consensus seems like most people are going to be against yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, don't. I still don't think it's very popular within within even within NASCAR. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to see IndyCar do that. They don't need that. Um, I think they should move to the next question, though, Rob. I agree. Uh, the NASCAR Cup Series race at Martinsville has been shortened from 500 to 400 laps. Do you upshift or downshift this move by the series and by Martinsville? Kind of upshift this one simply for the reason that it gives identity to the two races a little bit better. It's a night race, so that's better for TV and... Uh, uh, TV times and scheduling how late are you going to be there? How soon do you got to start it? Um, and it, you know, the 500 lap race is the penultimate race. It is the cutoff race to the, uh, to the, to the championship four race. So you have the 400 lap race, which is just, it's just a 400 laps around Martinsville spring race. You know, it's a night race. It again, you like, it gives identity. I wish it's not going to happen because TV wants it to back up into, Sunday night football, but I firmly wish that the fall race was just a day race, easily a day race with no chance of going into the night. This year, I was very surprised that we had sunlight left when Denny Hamlin so kindly touched noses with Alex Bowman. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. Upshift the identity. It gives a uh, gives two different personalities, solidifies sort of two different personalities for the two races at Martinsville. Yeah, I, I'm, boy, I'm not a fan of this, and I'm going to be straight honest with you. I downshift. I, I just don't feel like 400 laps at Martinsville is anything to write, is anything special. Like, I'm sorry. I don't think it's anything special. I don't think it's worthy of a grandfather clock. You have to go 500 laps at Martinsville to be worthy of a grandfather clock. I'm sorry. Because it's not it's not a test. It's not a test of man and machine. It's not a test of endurance at that point. It's not a test of patience. It's not. It's a shorter race. 
The point of it, a point of a 500 lapper at Martinsville is to basically be an endurance long, long race without being an endurance race. You're only going 320 some miles in a 500 lapper. Now you're going even less. You're covering less distance with a 400 lapper. You're going, like, two, just, you're, going, you're going 250 miles in a 500 lap race and 200 miles in a 400 lap race. It's, 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 it, it's, it, yeah, okay. So, uh, then that, that's about the equivalent to, uh, yeah, Pocono going from 200 to, from 500 to 400 laps. It's not as, it's not as long. It's not as, as not as much of an endurance. You don't see fuel mileage races in Pocono anymore. Wow. And that's probably due in part to the stages, but I don't. Yeah. Th- I think even before the stages, fuel mileage wasn't stopped being as big of a deal when at Pocono when they moved away from the five hundred to the four hundred. And I that's not to say actually, I think that the five hundred to the four hundred move by Pocono was actually really good. I think that it was actually a really good move until stages came along. But with this, I just, I, I just think it's lame. I just don't like it. Well, I, don't I think, think it's. it's- I, I I think you're still gonna have intensity is gonna ra- ratchet up quicker, you know. It's uh, I, I don't know. I I I don't think you're gonna have a less exciting race because you're losing 100 laps. I didn't I say think. it wasn't gonna be less exciting, but I think it's gonna be. It's less about that endurance. the The idea of of trying to win a race at Martinsville, uh, especially in the Cup Series, is it's it's not easy to do. It's really not easy to do. I mean, if you compare it with running a, running a race on a road course or at a plate race, it's probably right up there in terms of difficulty. You know, it's not a track that's easy to set up for. It's not a track that you could predict uh, how things are going to go. It's not a track that, you know, you can go full throttle the whole time, balls to the wall. It's a track where you have to be aggressive but also conservative. It's a track where you have to be uh, tough but fair. It's a track where you have to be slow but fast. It's it's all, really all, it's something that it, it's a track that you have to drive like a road course, despite it being an oval. I mean, the brakes alone are the, conserving your brakes alone is what part part of what makes Martinsville and tires conserving your brakes, conserving your tires is part of what ma- makes Martinsville so difficult. And I feel like you know having a shorter final stage now it it hurts that. I mean, if it wasn't a stage race, it, I don't think I'd care much. But with these stages and, and the shortening of these final stages, I think it just takes some of the endurance out of the car building and and, and out of the driver's ability. It's just not appealing to me. I, I like that seeing, uh, you know, the ultimate test of a driver trying to win a race and trying to keep the car in as good a condition as he can while also trying to bump his way through traffic, stay ahead of other people, keep the brakes cool. I, I And I'm not saying you're not going to get that from 400 miles, but I don't think it's going to be as as special or as difficult to do now because there's 100 lap, laps left. Does that make sense? It, uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I understand. You, understand. It's, you yeah. might not agree with it, but you understand where I'm coming from. Right, I do, yeah. You, yeah. And that's okay. I mean, nobody has you, people don't have to agree with me. Sometimes I might not even agree with myself, but what I'm saying here is my gut feeling. You know, this is this is how I feel about it. And whether or not logically it makes sense is irrelevant. All I'm saying is this is what my gut tells me, and I'll worry about whether or not it works later. You know, you know that's kind of how I go about sometimes. Um, anyway, moving on to the next question here. Uh, Tony Stewart Racing revealed that his team will use Dodge and Mopar in the NHRA 
Do you upshift or downshift that this points to a future Dodge Stuart Haas racing combination in NASCAR? I downshift. I downshift. Uh, I think this is just a coincidence. Does it make Dodge's entry into NASCAR, if there is an entry for Dodge to NASCAR, easier to say, hey, man, we're working with you in the NHRA. We'd love to work with you in NASCAR. How can we make that happen? Sure. Yeah. But I don't think this is any indication that Tony Stewart and, and Stewart Haas Racing are going to be Dodge's, or, or is the clear answer for Dodge to enter NASCAR at this point. I downshift. Yeah, I think this is clearly making something out of nothing. Uh, I the, My a, approach to this is the same as the Toyota to IndyCar rumors, is I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. You know, I'll believe it when I see it, when I actually see a Dodge next-gen car or a Dodge next-gen engine, I'll believe it. When I actually see a Toyota IndyCar engine, I'll believe it. But until then, I'm not going to believe it. So uh, next question here. Team Penske, or excuse me, I'm almost, nope, 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 I skipped one. (laughs) The actual next one, because apparently I can't read my notes properly. The FIA has confirmed that Michael Massey could lose his F1 race director job over the handling of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix finish. Massey should lose his job. Do you upshift or downshift that Massey should lose his job, is what I should have said. And this is interesting because, Josh, I believe you said uh, that we'd have a different world champion by this time, and that, that didn't happen. No. So I'm I, sorry, but yeah. we've already had one prediction be incorrect, so I don't like our track record now. But uh, anyway, your thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, I, I I think he's going to lose his job, and he probably... And he probably should, because that's just, I feel like negligence is, is in a way a strong word, or too strong of a word, but I also feel like it's a pretty strong word, or the right word to describe his handling of that situation. Um, if you read the several articles that were written about it, it they kind of, the FIA kind of outlines how they kind of want to split that job up a little bit, and give, give that whoever what he was doing this year and last year or last year, the past two years um, to several different people. Don't know if that's the right way to go about it, but yeah, he should. That's just the handling of that. Look where we're at. We're still talking about this, you know, and we don't even know if a particular driver is going to be racing because they're waiting on the final results of this inquiry. So I think he should lose his job. I'm sorry, Michael Massey, but I think you should. I upshift. Yeah, this one's a difficult one, but it's not so difficult. I think it's not as cut and dry as I think we want it to be. Right. Uh, I do think he should lose his job because fact of the matter is he manipulated the outcome of a race. And no matter what the FIA says, and no matter what Massey, Michael Massey says, uh, it's clear as day printed in ink in the FIA rule book that was available to everybody on that morning. Available to us. What he did was against the FII regulations when it comes to a restart procedure. He broke FIA regulations, which basically means he screwed every team, all 10 teams that were out there. He screwed them all because he made up rules that they were not aware of, that they could not look into, that they, you know, everybody goes out and everybody starts a motor race with an understanding after a driver's meeting especially, but mostly with an understanding of how the race is going to be run and what the rules are. 
You can't just change the rules on the fly and confuse everybody when you have half of the field back there wondering what the heck is going on. Seriously, look look it up. Like there's a bunch of audio from I think F1 TV that people captured of drivers just not being sure what's going on, like being unsure of the rules when this is not something that should be happening. You know, drivers should have an idea and have an understanding of these kinds of rules. And I believe firmly that most of them did have an understanding. Most of them did have the same understanding of the rules that we did watching at home. And it's just Michael Massey played by his own rules and manipulated them and changed them. And again, he did it for the entertainment factor. And again, I don't really want to take anything away from Verstappen's championship because I think it was well-earned, but Massey definitely broke rule, broke clear cut written rules that everybody had to agree on at the start of the season. And I think that's grounds for losing your job. If you can't follow the rules that everybody agrees on, then you lose your job because otherwise, why do we have these rules that come out and everybody agrees on them before the start? I mean, if you have a grievance, then you air it before the rules get published. You know, if, if, if you don't have anything to say, then you don't get to, to, to decide for yourself. You have to follow what's written in the rules because that's what's agreed upon by everybody. Right. Um, right. However, I will say this, uh, not necessarily to kind of counter what you're saying, but I actually don't mind the idea of the race director going to maybe a set of two to three people. Um, I feel like that actually might allow, might help prevent situations like this, where it's not just one person making the decision. You have a team of people making these decisions, and they all have to agree, or you at least, the very least have to have a majority agree in order to have these kinds of things to be decided. You know, uh, Michael Massey, let's, let's say, let's give him the full benefit of the doubt. Let's say he just completely forgot about these rules, okay, which could have happened. He just completely forgot that these rules were written there. Right. You know, wouldn't it be nice if he had somebody else that came up and said, oh, hey, wait a minute. I don't think we can do this. You know? Right. Wouldn't well, that, that should, have that solved a lot of already, problems? But that person should already exist in this in the No, in exactly. And I'm saying Michael Massey should have been the person that should have known that. But because yeah. we're human and because we forget and we, because our memories are what they are and because we get caught up in the moment – I feel like in that situation, it's much better to have somebody who's maybe a little bit more calm and maybe who's maybe in a different mindset or who maybe has a different view upon things to maybe reach over and say, hey, let's hold up on that decision. What about we try this and actually get something different? You know, I feel like that's something that could alleviate a lot of these problems because, you know, we have the same deal with stewards. You have a whole team of stewards usually. Like you have at least four or five stewards that take a look at incidents and come to their consensus and their judgment. You know, shouldn't the same kind of be true for race? I'm not saying you need four to five people on race control, but two to three, maybe we that that could start to be uh, being considered in the future. I would hope. Maybe Massey doesn't lose his job, but he gets somebody else appointed to you know make the decisions with him. I guess I don't know. Okay. Um. Next question here. Team Penske has no plans to run in any Xfinity races in 2022. Do you upshift or downshift this, uh, Josh? I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I kind of downshift just for the sole reason it's a quality team and we're losing it. Even even if it was just a rotation of, of cup drivers and 
developmental Xfinity or truck drivers. You know, I, I know one of the things you admire and respect about Roger Penske, but you also like, dang it, I hate that about about Roger Penske is that if he, if it doesn't make sense, he doesn't do it. I.e., why Elio Castro Nevis never was told, yes, we can get you in a cup car or we can put you in a test. Um, if it doesn't make financial sense, if it doesn't make, uh, you know, if it doesn't further the cause, he, he's not going to do it. And uh, it obviously putting Logano, Blaney uh, in the car for their 10 race or five races each uh, and rotating Cindric and Harrison Burton in through the rest of the races, that doesn't make sense. Um, unfortunately, that's the case. So I downshift just simply because it's a quality car, a quality team on the Xfinity grid lost. You know, I agree with that. I do think it's a quality team on the Xfinity grid, and that's a disappointing loss. However, I feel as though the Xfinity grid is really solid as it is. It's got a lot of competition right now. It is very competitive. You have a lot of very you know, you have a lot of mid-pack teams that are starting to get a lot better and a lot more competitive, and you're starting to see, you know, a lot more of what used to be, you know, the Bush Grand National Series. You know, you're kind of seeing that start to come back a little bit, and I appreciate that. So, I I guess, you know, it's, I look at it as, as ah, it's just one car, it's not that big of a loss. I mean, yeah, it's a competitive car. Yeah, it's a car that was in contention to win the championship and had won the championship in 2020. So it's disappointing to lose it. But at the same time, it really only feels like I'm losing Austin Sindrick and not necessarily the whole team. Because Sindrick has been that team for the past two to three years. And so now that Sindrick's moving up into the Cup Series, you know, sometimes those teams that shut down. You know, they shut... I mean, Penske shut down Newman's... Xfinity team as soon as he went into the cup series because there was no point to keep it why would he have Newman go to run cup races why would you have Cindric run cup races he's been running these things for three years now for Xfinity races he's been running these things for three years now he's had he's done everything he can do in them he's won and lost a championship uh, and he's got you know top five top ten runs at in the Cup Series, maybe not the finishes to account show for him, but he's got at the very least good qualifying attempts and good overall overall runs in the Cup Series. Just what's he going to learn from running in the Xfinity Series? Nothing. You know, the best thing for him to do is just run the in the Cup Series, get accustomed to this next gen car, and try and have the best rookie season he can. What's the point? I mean, and you're right, it, but you know, I could be upset and disappointed about it, but at the end of the day, it's it doesn't affect me. And I don't think it affects the quality of the Xfinity grid either. I think the Xfinity grid is only going to get better and it's going to keep getting better. And, you know, if Roger Penske decides someday that he wants to field an Xfinity car again, then that's that's great. That I'm going to welcome that with open arms. But it right now it doesn't really bug me because I feel like the quality of the series and the quality of the teams that are in it. I just look at our motorsports. Look at Jordan Anderson. Look at uh, even even uh Ryan, uh, Ryan Sieg's team, uh, you know, people, uh, guys like that, JD Motorsports. You've got the Stuart Haas now having a, another car that they can run with, not only Riley Herbst, but now also with uh, Ryan Priest. You know, I, you've got colleague expanding and, and doing more things. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe Joe Gibbs is retracting a car, but 
you know, they'll still have Brandon Jones and, you know, it, it'll still be okay. You know, you still probably have an all-star car with, with some cup drivers in it and it'll be all right. You know, you'll still have Ty Gibbs, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not worried. You know what I mean? I'm just not worried. Not to rant too much, but uh, going into the last question here, Lewis Hamilton will not be satisfied with the results of the FIA inquiry into the ending of the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and will walk away from Formula One. Do you upshift or downshift on this statement, Josh? This is very wildly out there, but honestly, my dad called me about about asking about this a couple of weeks ago because he actually believes it's possible. So, Josh, I'm going to ask what you think about this. Look, I think it could go either way. I honestly think it could go either way. I don't know how to answer this question. It's it's might be my first neutral of the year because it goes both ways. I can upshift and downshift. All right. One minus one equals zero. You know, this is the way it is. So I I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm I'll go, tell you what I know. I'm gonna go new I'm gonna go neutral because I just don't know. I don't know. I'm going to downshift because I don't think Hamilton won. Every, people do this every year. This has been the same thing for the past three years now. Is every this is different, but this is completely different. No, 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 no. I don't different. care if it's different. I don't care if it's different. It's the same thing every offseason. Is Lewis Hamilton, he hasn't signed a new contract. Oh, he hasn't talked to anybody all offseason. Oh, he hasn't said anything. Oh, he hasn't reported to the Mercedes facility. This happens every year. Every offseason. Every year he shows up in Barcelona or Bahrain or wherever they're hosting testing this year. And he's right there in the Mercedes grid. And all of a sudden, everybody, all those things goes away. And exactly. I, 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 I never have thought this way before. Like he's going to race. He's like, he's going to race next year. He's just taking his time. Cause he knows Mercedes isn't going to be like, look, Hey, if you're not signed by this date, we're going to move on. All right, Mercedes would sign him the Thursday before the opening race, and he would be there, and would and they would welcome him with open arms. This is a different situation where he feels like, and rightfully so, he feels like he was hurt and a championship was torn away from him wrongfully. I don't think you can disagree with that. No, I absolutely not. So I think that's that's my thing. Where like I just don't know. I don't know what the inquiry is going to find. Is, is the FIA going to play it straight or are they going to play it gray? You know, are they going to be murky about their answers and how they and how they go about it to stay face? What are they going to do? And if and I and I kind of my gut tells me that if that happens, he's going to be like, y'all didn't take this seriously. I'm out. Peace. It's been real. But if they play, I, I just have a hard time feeling like Hamilton's going to walk away. I mean, I understand there's there's the argument that he's done everything that there is to do in Formula One, but that's not true. No one's ever won an eighth championship. I, I Hamilton is still at a point in his career where he could win an eighth championship. All he need if he goes out there next year and whips this floor with Verstappen and comes out there fiery and angry and decides he's going to be super aggressive 2006 Lewis Hamilton, great. I think that's what's going to happen. I think this is going to light a fire under him. You know, and and honestly, I, Lewis, Lewis is, is, I think he's wired differently than most race car drivers, and that's not a bad thing. And I think it works in his favor more times than it doesn't. And I think that's, honestly, I think after every season, he goes home and he just, 
he just relaxes. He's if you think about how stressful Lewis Hamilton's life must be. I mean, I understand people could think, oh, he's got the easiest job in the world. He drives the best car every day. Yeah, well, guess what? It still takes talent to drive the best car and not crash the best car and still win the win in the best car. You still, it's that's still tough. And 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 to take, put, imagine all of the pressure that's being put on you to win. You're expected to win if you're driving for Mercedes and you're Lewis Hamilton. You are expected to win. He needs time to depressurize from all of that because it is a long and grueling. Formula One. See, it, it's been since March to December that Lewis Hamilton had to deal with that. Give the dude two months to just chill, to just decompress, to unwind, to not worry about racing. And then when it's time to show up for preseason testing, he's going to be refreshed and ready to go and more fiery than ever to go win an eighth championship. I think I think people are just too harsh on him because they see they see all these other F1 drivers doing press conferences and running iRacing racing events, and then Hamilton's just a hermit over the off season. And it's like that's it's his prerogative to do that. Why why do you criticize him for doing that? Criticize he doesn't that. owe anybody anything. No. If he needs to take the off season to unwind and decompress so that he could be a better person and a better race car driver, then by all means, it should be his right to do so, especially after how he lost the championship this year. I would think people would be, would be more conscious and aware of his privacy in this kind of shit. Not saying you're not, but I feel like people are dogging him constantly about what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? When he just wants to just relax on the couch with Roscoe, probably. Yeah, you're probably right. Like, just let this dude chill for a, a minute, and then he'll be, he'll answer his questions, and he'll sign his contract when he's good and ready. Don't worry about it. This is all just talk for people trying to do something in the offseason because they can't get a story elsewhere, you know? I, that's that's my view on it. I, I have no reason to believe that Lewis Hamilton is going to walk away from Formula 1. He has no reason to. He still has an opportunity to win an eighth champ. Championship. That is a uh, great Chili Bowl, by the way. Loved watching the events. Absolutely a, a, a amazing event, especially on Flow Racing. Flow Racing, hands down, worth $150 per year. Uh, I didn't, I, I, I for a long time wondered if it was worth the money, and it has proven to me time and time again that it is indeed worth money, especially with NASCAR roots being on there now, but especially for their Chili Bowl coverage. All week leading up to it, I was watching Flow just outstanding coverage. And then as soon as Flo went off the air and the C-Main started broadcasting on Mad TV, it became a complete train wreck. Dude, I do not know what Forrest Lucas is doing, but it is he's not doing a good... He's put too much money into this, whatever Protect the Harvest bull crap is, which is basically some kind of anti-animal rights thing. Seriously, look this up. This guy, this, 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 this group, Protect the Harvest, that airs all these advertisements on Mad TV and has their logo plastered the chili bowl literally thinks that the aspca is like some kind of radical nut job group i, I i'm serious i'm serious 
Look this up. Look up Protect the Harvest. If you're on your phone listening to this podcast right now, if you're driving, don't do it. Do it when you get home. But if you're not driving, look this up right now. Forrest Lucas seriously considers the ASPCA to be some kind of radical left-wing animal rights group like PETA when it's not. No, it's... He's he's picking a fight with the wrong people. Uh, First of all, what's wrong with animal rights? I don't really know. I like my cat. I wouldn't want someone to be eating my cat. I wouldn't want to eat cats, but apparently this is... Maybe I'm going out of... Different point. MAV-TV sucked. The broadcast sucked. The commentators didn't know what was going on. The camera lenses were all wrong. The coloring was all wrong. There was oversaturation in the lights. Uh, again, the information on the ticker, the information on who was advancing and who was not advancing was incorrect. They said Casey Kane advanced to the A main, despite the fact that he had a mechanical problem halfway through his B main, which many finished last in the B main and ergo did not advance to the A main. Now, as much as I appreciate MAV-TV trying to make me feel better, it really doesn't help when the green flag is going to fall for the A main and he's not going to be out there because he didn't call it. I, I, it just, it was an abysmal, it was an abysmal broadcast. Um, I, I mean, I've never seen anything where the, the commentators were just straight up wrong. They were just, give, I mean, I don't think it was maliciously wrong, but they just did not do their homework. Or, or maybe they did, but they did it three hours prior to going on the broadcast. Like the flow people, the flow people would sit there and tell you stories about it, detailed, intricate backgrounds of these stories, and then the math commentators would get their finishes in the last races wrong. Like, it's not like we're asking you to give us, you know, their backstories like the flow commentators are, but at least get their statistics correct, because those are easy to look up. Those are easy to find. Holy cow. And by the way, before you move on, I don't know if you're moving on, uh, Kaylee Bryson makes history. First woman to race in the A main. Right, she yeah. did. Holy cow! My God, her performance in that C main was nuts. Yeah. Or the B main, excuse me, it was a B main. Sorry, B not is- C main. B main. B main. The B main. I mean, or if, what? I think it was a C main. I can't remember. But it, it, I've slept since then. I apologize. But I just remember nobody was going up high. This was like right. They hadn't. Um, they hadn't uh, redone the track yet, and and everybody. Nobody was going up high, so no one was using the cushion. And, and Kaylee Bryson goes, hey, no one's up here. I'm just going to check it out. All of yeah. a sudden, next thing you know, she's like maybe a second faster than everybody else and just starts passing car after car after car. After car takes the lead and just drives away on this high side. And and I'm just uh, I'm absolutely stunned that nobody else – people can – I understand in, in, in dirt race, you don't have spotters. You don't have anybody talking to you. You don't have rear view mirrors. But honestly, you would see her go by these cars, and they would still stay on the bottom. Yeah. I was like, you just got passed by someone going maybe five miles an hour faster than you on the outside riding the cushion, and you're not even going to try? <laughs> you're just going to chill here on the bottom? You're not even going to try? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 this is, this is to advance into the chili bowl. Like you, you've worked all week to get to this point and you're not even going to try a different line that may or may not be working. 
it worked out for Kaylee Bryson because nobody else tried to hide. I mean, there were some cars going, some cars further back were trying to highlight and making it work. But it's it seemed like the top five was just committed to the low line, no matter how many how much faster she was. Yeah, it was it was just it was amazing. It was great chili bowl. But yeah, it was fun to watch on TV. But dude, those Mav TV that Mav TV broadcast was a dumpster fire. They should be they should be ashamed of themselves because I pay uh ten dollars extra to get Mav TV on YouTube TV and I'm paying one hundred and fifty dollars for the Flow Racing and I just have to say that the Flow Racing was a better deal and I I don't know if I can justify paying for Mav TV all all year anymore after that I mean I might I I might have to just for the Arca reasons but after their Winchester four hundred broadcast which was a heck of a lot better than that. I don't know what happened between then and now because that was bad. Uh, speaking of bad things, Formula E returned to uh, Saudi Arabia. That's not, this isn't the bad part. Uh, and actually, the good part is there was no missiles that went off over the track this time. Uh, that was good. No one's uh, going after MVS. That's that's good. Uh, Nick DeVries won the first race, uh, which was actually a pretty good race. Actually, a very, very fun race. Very good uh, entertaining race. Formula E came back with a bang. It was a great race one. I very much enjoyed watching the first race of the Formula E season. Uh, the cars definitely, it was interesting. The The new qualifying format, which I don't quite fully understand still, was interesting. Um, the cars are, they, definitely, they, they kind of look a little bit faster, and they feel a little bit faster, which is always nice to see. Because I understand you know, I feel like people are still too hard on Formula E because, you know, oh, there's no sound or, oh, the cars aren't going that fast. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's what you're going to get with, you know, fledgling young technology. Give give it some time and watch. Just keep your eye and watch Formula E and wait. Because before you know it, these things are going to be fast and these things are going to be maybe not loud, but they're going to be a, a lot more interesting than they might be to some people right now. I mean, to me, it's great racing. But to other people, you know, just keep an eye on it because I, I do firmly believe that as the cars go faster, the racing will be more enticing, I think, to the average race fan. Uh, but anyway, Eduardo Mortara won, which was big for him, big for Ventur- Venturi. But the big thing I want to talk about here, and this is the rant I want to, I want to go on, uh, was the fact that uh, the end of the race, uh, there was a car on the wall. I think it was Oliver Rowland who crashed. Uh, this was about maybe seven minutes left to go, and they so it was basically going to end under caution. And I'm not mad about Formula E ending the race under caution. I don't care about that. I don't care about races ending under caution like every NASCAR fan seems to. NASCAR fans seem to believe that a race ending under caution is the equivalent to sacrilege or blasphemy, which, in all honesty, it doesn't matter, and it's how racing has been operating for decades upon decades upon decades, perhaps maybe even a century. Um... That being said, my problem with the way the race finished was the fact that Eduardo Mortara crashed in a very tight and blind corner, and Formula E decided it would be a fun idea if they sent the whole pack of field through at pace speed under the safety car while there was a crane, a large crane, removing the stricken abandoned car of Oliver Rowland uh, in the middle of this very tight blind turn, and as soon as I saw the camera work panning to this, these cars basically you 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 could barely fit what seemed maybe on the TV. I'm sure it was bigger in real person in real life and in person, but on the TV it literally looked like you could not fit a piece of paper between the crane and the cars pacing through it. 
Now, let's just ask ourselves a question here. I understand Formula E has the halo, so maybe we're not so worried about drivers being injured, but we should start be worrying about injuring and hitting marshals that are in the middle of the track while cars are passing by them at pace speed, maybe about 50 miles an hour, uh, and these marshals are sitting here. They should have red flagged the race. They should have brought the cars under the, under the pit lane, into the pit lane, and they should have red flagged the race, or at the very least, ended the race early. Uh, instead of put the marshals uh, and the drivers, for that matter, at risk uh, by setting them out there at this. And Jean-Eric Verne actually tweeted about this. He tweeted it with a picture. If you go on Jeb's Twitter account right now, you'll be able to read it. And he brings up very good points. Formula E, every time with them, it's two steps forward and three steps back. It's ridiculous. They can make all the strides they want in being eco-friendly and carbon neutral and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to actually knowing how to run a racing series and knowing how to, you know, do race control, honestly, it seems like Michael Massey would do a lot better job in Formula E than he would do in Formula One. Let's be honest. Ooh. Yeah, you heard me right. You heard me right. Uh, okay, so I, I and I and, and so now the next thing that we're going to talk about is 24 Hours of Daytona. I have absolutely nothing negative to say about that. Uh, the coverage was excellent. It was interesting. It was kind of annoying to have to switch back and forth uh, from USA and NBC, but it kind of it, it's not like we're not. I'm not not used to that. You could watch the whole stream on Peacock, which was nice, and it was commercial free on Peacock as well, which was also nice. Uh, but you know. It's not uncommon, you know, when Speed had the rights, that was common, or not Speed, but Fox had the rights, you know, it wasn't uncommon for them to switch it from Big Fox to FS1 to FS2, um, and that wasn't that annoying, it allowed them to broadcast a, as much of the race as possible uh, on broadcast TV, and I think they did a good job of that. I think they maybe got 20 of the 24 hours broadcast on national TV, which is not good compared to other years, but given the fact that they were down a network in NBCSN and they had to provide for other content with NBC and USA, I thought they did a pretty good job of splitting coverage up and then reminding everyone, hey, if this is annoying to you, go sign up for a free trial of Peacock and, you know, and go watch it that way. You yeah, know? I watched it. I watched some of it. I, I really wasn't able to watch a lot of it or at least pay attention to it the way I, I would have liked to. Um, and I was watching on Peacock. I have the premium subscription, so I was able to, you know, watch it that way. Again, great, great. I thought NBC did a great job. Like, like you said, great job. Great, nothing. Great job given what they had. I obviously it would have been nice to have gotten the full twenty four hours on TV, but I understand where that's just not practical, especially when you're putting so much of it on USA, and you know that USA has other programs that they have to air. Yeah, I get it. I understand they did as much as they could with what they have. This was one of the things I was worried about with the shutdown of NBCSN. Yeah, and could this be something like next year where they have more time to maybe plan out when other contracts may expire? Maybe next year they can fit all 24 hours on TV. Will they? No, they're probably going to continue to push for the app purchase uh, and subscription, but maybe in 2023 they'll say, okay, we, we can actually put the entire... Uh, 24 Hours of Daytona on television between NBC, USA, and, and maybe CN- CNBC, too. My biggest surprise was that they didn't utilize CNBC at all. Yeah, that's kind of what my What the shot. hell is CNBC broadcasting on the weekend? Nothing. 
They have nothing to broadcast on the weekend. The stock market doesn't trade on the weekend. What are they broadcasting? They must have. They they had to have had something already in place that they couldn't move. I guess I don't. I don't know, man. I don't know. Anyway, the winners overall and in DPI were Meyer Shank Racing with Tom Blumquist, Elio Castroneves, Oliver Jarvis, and Simon Pagano. In LMP2, Dragon Speed USA, the IndyCar team basically of Devlin De Francesco, Colton Herta, Pato Award, and Eric Lux. And LMP3, Riley Motorsports, one that was driven by Kay Van Berlo, Michael Cooper, Felipe Fraga, and Gar Robinson. In GTD, uh, Pro, uh, PAF Motorsports, uh, PFAF Motorsports, I think, Matt Campbell, Matteo Jaminet, and Felipe Nazar were the victors. And in GTD, Wright Motorsports, Ryan Hardwick, Jan Halen, Richard Lates, and Zach Robichon were the victors there. And uh, let's move into the outstanding performance here real quick. Josh, who was your outstanding performance? from the three or four races that we've talked about? You know, I have Colton Herta down, but uh, for just his late race pass there, just simply for that, because that was just such a great move. But I'm actually going to, I'm going to change it up and I'm going to go with with Kaylee Bryson and just what she did there. uh, I I was making it up and I had slept since then. And I feel bad that I forgot about that. And I didn't actually write, write down in the show notes. Um, I'm going to go with her. Just the performance she did to get to the A main to make history. Someone's got to do it first, and it was her. So congratulations. That's why I'll say performance. That's a good choice. Uh, since you changed yours, I guess I could kind of put Colton Herta into mine. But really, I was going to give mine to Meyer Shank Racing that whole thing because it's the thing about endurance racing that's so tough is, is the is having to bounce back from adversity. And you know, I I was kind of busy on Saturday. And I didn't really get to watch a lot, sit down and watch a lot of the Rolex until like past midnight. And then I I basically watched as much as I could until I fell asleep and then woke up and watched the rest of it. Uh, But the parts that I did watch in the evening, uh, seeing Elio lose a tire while leading and then have so, you know, have that kind of adversity and having to battle back and still being able to win. Obviously, yellows and cautions helped them a lot and having a fast car probably helped, too. But still, that's that's not easy to do, is to have adversity like that, even an endurance race, and still be able to bounce back and bring it back. And not to, not to mention the fact that Elio is 46, and Simon Pagano is brand new and hasn't run sports cars in quite some time. Uh, you know, that's pretty big, too. And Meyer Shank, as well, basically coming right out and saying, yeah, we've now won the Indianapolis 500 and Rolex 24 Um and Elio has two Rolexes now, four Indy 500s. I mean, what has an Elio done? He's, he does just doesn't have an IndyCar championship, which maybe he can get this year. I don't know. I mean, it, it looks like already Meyer Shank is proving that they have a good lineup in Elio and Simon Pagano, grabbing two Pens- former Penske teammates that already have experience working together, already have chemistry working together as teammates. Dude, Michael, Meyer, Michael Shank knows what he's doing and this is i i gotta give him creds on that it's not easy to win overall at the rolex especially when chip ganassi's in there especially when you got that super team of kui kobayashi and jimmy johnson and you know and uh and, and ricky taylor and everything oh yeah the wayne taylor guys with ricky taylor and everyone you know it's not easy to go out there with two indycar drivers basically and uh and two formula e drivers and go out there and win the race. So good job for them. Uh, and uh, I think that's it for the outstanding performance. So Josh, let's wrap today's show up 
with a new thing that you've got to introduce to us. I kind of teased this. If you uh, listen to our show, uh, the New Year special, I sort of teased this then. This is something I'm going to do, I think, frequently this year. Um, something new, something change it up. I don't like doing featured racetracks where I can't find really great information and it's like five minutes long. Um, yeah, I'll, there's some part twos I can do. Got some featured races, but this one I'm gonna I'm gonna dub this Rollers Week in Racing History. So we're recording this show on January 31st, ended February 1st. So the last week of dates here, I'm gonna just kind of list a race that happened on each day uh many of these had multi i think all of these actually had multiple ones but tried to mix it up because there's actually worse so like i could make probably a whole thing of here just the brazilian grand prix like no joke but i want to try and mix it up a little bit so let's kick it off here january 25th uh the indy racing league held its third race of the 1997 uh season at the dearly missed walt Disney World Speedway on January 25th, 1997. Buzz Calkin's engine expired while leading. Tony Stewart assumed the lead. And on, on that was on lap 145. But on that very same lap, he lost a tire and slid sideways across the start-finish line as he exited turn three. And uh, Eddie Cheever took control as the caution waved. The race, however, never resumed because the Florida sky opened up and water rained on everyone's good time. Achiever was declared the winner uh, with 149 of 200 laps completed. Uh, on January 26, 1975, Formula One raced round two of 14 at Interlagos. Carlos Pace won in his number eight Martini Racing Ford Cosworth, leading only eight of the 40 laps on the then 7.96-kilometer circuit. Fellow Brazilian Emerson Fittipaldi uh, finished second, and Joaquim Mas fin- uh, was third. Two years later, Pace would uh, perish in a plane crash, and the circuit would be renamed in his honor in 1985. The Australian Touring Car Championship raced three races on January 27, 1996, at Eastern Creek Raceway in New South Wales. That's now Sydney Motorsports Park. John Bowie won the first race, and uh, Craig Lowndes won uh, races two and three. Uh, the 1973 Grand Prix of Argentina kicked off the season for Wait, Formula did One. Did you say quick Craig Loundis? Yeah. You know it's Craig Lowndes, right? It's Craig Lowndes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I was going to uh, say, I, had to, I, I, I lost my place for a brief moment, and then I found it, and I was like, is he trying to say Craig Lowndes? Because I'm pretty sure Craig Lowndes has been racing for a long time. And yeah, sure enough. Okay. I just, sorry. It's just, You're good. I talk the, about supercars a lot on this show. I'm surprised. You You've never mentioned that, that name before. I've never mentioned like no. six, so. seven-time champion Craig Lowndes. I don't think so. Well, if you have, I don't remember it. I'm just surprised because you don't follow supercars at all. Not so really. you, you've, You're not aware that Craig Lowndes was racing all the way up until like 2018. No. <laughs> he was Jamie Wincup's teammate. He was yeah. teammates with Shane Van Gisbergen. Like he's maybe he's been racing I, with Triple H Holden for a year for like most of his career. I remember those names more than that one, I guess. Oh, okay. You pound those names into us every week. They're man. still racing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, Win Cup re- just retired, Wincup. but yeah, they're still racing. Ra- Lowndes ran at Bathurst. Yeah, I, he was I, a co-driver I, at Bathurst. I'm sorry. Okay. 
All right. Okay. <laughs> the like this year, like this year. Like this the year, 1970, yeah. The nineteen seventy three Grand Prix of Argentina kicked off the season for the Formula One uh Formula One season on January twenty eighth, nineteen seventy three in Buenos Aires on the uh Autodrama Oscar Oscar Alfredo Galvez. Uh, Emerson Fittipaldi claimed victory after leading 11 of 96 laps. 96 laps for an F1 Grand Prix. That is a long time. Uh, and that was in a uh, John Player Team Lotus Ford Cosworth. Uh, we head back to Walt Disney World Speedway for January 29th, but this time it was in the year 2000. Uh, that year's Delphi Indy 200 was the season opener. Robbie Buell won his second and final career IRL victory. Uh, he won in a Dreyer, Reinbold, Dreyer and Reinbold Racing Oldsmobile, number 24. Kind of sounds familiar there, other than the Oldsmobile part. Buddy Lazier finished second, with Eddie Cheever Jr. in third. Sadly, this was not only the final IndyCar race at the Mick Yard, but the final major race on it, too. Uh, Joey Logano won the Toyota All-Star Showdown at Irwindale Speedway on January 30th, 2010. Maybe made me sad. Um, I missed that race so much. I knew I was going to get that reaction out of Rob. That's why I picked it. <laughs> In a field of 40 cars, 40 cars, uh, Logano led 171 of 225 laps in a Chevrolet sponsored by Home Depot, and uh, it was owned by Mike Olson. Notable finishers were Matt Benedetto in 4th, Steve Park in 10th, Andrew Ranger in 15th, Greg Persley in 16th, Michael Self in 23rd, Ryan Truex in 26th, Blake Cook in 35th, and David Gilliland in 38th. Again, there are 40 starters in this race. Uh, that's, that's a lot for that little track. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, in the spirit of this past weekend's 24 Hours of Daytona, the 1999 24 Hours of Daytona concluded on January 31st. So it started on the 30th and it concluded on the 31st. Uh, victory, uh, victory overall, and in the Can-Am class, went to the number 20, Dyson Racing, Riley and Scott Mark III. Uh, driven by Butch Leitzinger, Andy Wallace, Elliot Forbes-Robinson, and Rob Dyson. A total of 78 cars zipped around the World Center of Racing, and the winning team, as I just mentioned, the number 20 Dyson team, uh, completed... Uh, 100, excuse me, 708 laps and led 284 of them. So, all right, that was ro uh, Rollers uh, Week in Racing. Like I said, I, I don't know how many of these I do. I feel it's going to be pretty frequent, though, because I do have some featured races written down. Uh, I still owe you all an Australian, 1991 Australian uh, Grand Prix uh, that I keep delaying because F1 likes to delay that race for some reason or another. Uh, but hopefully I'm going to be doing that one in April once that race rolls around, and uh, we'll see what other ones come up as well. Timeliness is, uh, has a lot to do with that, too. So uh, that was that. Rob, what's in the windshield? And uh, let's take us home. All right. So racing has returned officially. The Formula E season kicked off uh, this past weekend, and so did the Rolex 24, which means that the next race due up is the Clash at not Daytona, at the L.A. Coliseum. So NASCAR will be kicking off their season with the exhibit that exhibition race on Sunday, February 6th. Looking forward to that. 
The Daytona 500 will follow two weeks later with the duels on Thursday, February 17th. And then the Camping World Truck Series will race on Friday, February 18th. The Arkham Menard Series and the Xfinity race will be on February 19th with the Daytona 500 on February 20th. Formula E will race next on February 12th at the Automodromo Hermanos Rodriguez circuit for the Mexico City E-Prix. I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, one week after Daytona, then IndyCar will begin its 2022 season at St. Petersburg. Um, Supercars will start its 2022 season at Sydney Motorsports Park, not Newcastle, with Sydney Motorsports Park with the Sydney Super Night on March 5th and 6th. And then IMSA will return for its second race of the season on March 19th with the 2022 12 Hours of Sebring. And then Formula One opens in Bahrain on March 20th. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's show. We know we went long again, but we hope that Probably the show- won't be this long in future because the news was a lot to cover this week, too. It was too. a lot to cover. So- but it, it, we had a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss still because, you know, it's the first show of the new season. But uh, hopefully the show was a lot more streamlined. I think we cut out a lot of the bulk, uh, and I think we did a pretty good job of that. So let us know what you think. Because we're going to plug our Twitters now. I, my name is Rob. I can be found on Twitter, on Instagram, at rpeters33. That's R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. Josh can be found at roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. And our show can be found at Rob and Roller, spelled just as it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. We thank you so much for listening. Be sure to chime in with your discussions, with your featured pain schemes, with your upshifts and downshifts. Using the hashtag Rob and Roller, uh, we make sure to check those and we'll respond to them. Or you can respond straight to our tweets. It's probably best or an easier way to get a hold of us. Uh, or, like I said, the Spotify question of the week is also a way. There's plenty of ways to get in touch with us. And uh, we'll probably even uh, converse with you on the air someday, maybe. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We uh, hope you enjoyed the clash this weekend. We hope you enjoyed the racing from this past weekend. And we hope that uh, you enjoy and come back for next week as we continue season four of the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. So for Josh Roller, I'm Rob Peters. This has been Robin Roller podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.